Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor and I are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Danny Aiken. Uh, Dr. Aiken serves as the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, a role he has been in since 2004, uh, known as an advocate for international missions and expository preaching. He also has a reputation as a faithful husband and father. Dr. Aiken and his wife, Charlotte, have four sons and four daughter-in-laws, and 14 grandchildren. Uh, So Dr. Aiken, just so thankful for you being a part of our conversation today. Well, gosh, thank you, and I'm honored to be a part of it. So today we're going to be talking about pastors and fatherhood, uh, a topic that you are no stranger to. Uh, As we mentioned before, you have four sons, and all of which are in ministry. Is that correct? That is accurate. So, so as we think about your uh, your years, they're all all your sons are grown. You know, they're all in ministry and so on. Uh, so now you've got some time to look back and 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 think through uh, the years of their upbringing and and so on. What was one of the biggest struggles that you experienced uh, being both a father and also being in ministry, pastoral ministry, and uh, uh, obviously denominational ministry and so on? Time management. Mm. how to make sure that you give adequate time to all the responsibilities that you have, uh, but especially your marriage with your wife and then your children, because uh, we all know the window of being a parent in terms of having the children in the home is very small. It's uh, 20 years or less, somewhere Mm -hmm. in the 18 to 20-year range. And uh, so once those years are gone, they're gone and there's nothing you can do to get any of them back. And so reflecting back on it, uh, if I had anything to do over again, I would have tried to find a way to carve out even more time for my family, in particular my children, without neglecting and fulfilling the responsibility of a minister uh, that God had called me to. Mm -hmm. That's very helpful. So thinking about just that balance uh, we we both we all know that that pastors can't be two places at once. It's just it's not physically possible. So so ha- looking back at just the years of ministry and and being a father, um, how can pastors learn to balance the responsibilities, the the pastoral responsibilities, but also their responsibilities at the home? Well, well, one thing I would say is you ought to integrate your children as well as your mate into the ministry that God has given you. Mm-hmm. So we were fortunate uh, in those years to be a part of good churches so that uh, our children uh, loved going to church, looked forward to going to church. And uh, in those particular years, uh, our church met on Sunday morning, Sunday night, mm-hmm. Wednesday nights. Uh, we used to have at the one church that I served a bus ministry. Well, I would go out and do visitation every Saturday morning from about nine till noon uh, visiting the children that we would then bring hopefully the next day and uh, my twins were old enough I would take them with me and so they would go visiting with me uh, in those homes uh, touching base with those children and their families when I could many times in 
bus ministry, you discover that uh, the children uh, are fairly disconnected from mm-hmm. their parents, and mm-hmm. often there's no father in the home or no biological father mm-hmm. in the home. But anyway, uh, my boys would go visiting with me. So first of all, they did have a really good um, taste in their mouths about church. At the same time, uh, we tried to, and I tried to carve out time specifically uh, for them. Now again, don't think in terms of highly structured, but in terms of making sure there was time set aside to be involved with their lives and just playing and uh, going to ball games and being involved in practices and all of those kind of things. And so that meant uh, sometimes saying no to some church things, not the main things, but saying no to some secondary things that I could be a good, a good daddy. And one of the things I would say to anyone in ministry today, your church needs good role models. Mm-hmm. They need a good role model at the top about what it means to be a godly husband. Mm-hmm. And they need a role model at the top about what it means to be a good daddy too. Mm-hmm. So I'm a dad. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So I'm, I'm very early on in this, but I'm not currently pastoring. So I'd just be curious if you could just talk a little bit about how being a dad has shaped the way that you pastor. Well, I think that uh, we uh, hurt ourselves if we don't look at the church as a family. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the family that you actually lead as a as a husband and as a daddy uh, ought to be uh, preparation for how you lead a church, how you pastor and how you care for a church. And so I've been recently, even this morning, uh, I was working on a message from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 21, where Paul reminded the Corinthians that he had a spiritual father relationship with them. And he said, you got many guardians, but you only have one daddy. And really what he was saying is, please listen to your daddy. Well, I think uh, whether Paul was married or not, probably not. Still, he understood that the uh, parallel in being a good father in your home and being a good father, a good daddy, a good pastor of your congregation, which I think is also why Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 that if you don't manage your household well, how can you manage well the church of God? And the answer is you really can't. The two have very similar responsibilities. And so that's really good preparation for being a good pastor. Mm, Absolutely, absolutely. Now, there are some churches, we won't name them, but there are some uh, that that have a tendency to put expectations on on the pastor, uh, but not only that on the pastor, but also on the family. Uh, and many of these expectations are just simply outlandish. They're 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 not possible <laughs> for either the pastor or for his family. How should pastors respond to the expectations that that can often be placed on his family? Uh, that, that wind up being more of a burden than, uh, than a joy for ministry and for life. Well, one thing I would add to what you said, Ranjur, is, uh, and what you said is exactly right. Uh, I think churches often are well-intended, but that doesn't mean that their intentions are well-placed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're misplaced. So mm-hmm. and I didn't realize I was doing this as, as well as I actually wound up doing it. But when we were younger, uh, I basically gave Charlotte the freedom to be Charlotte. In other words, did she have to fulfill the role of being a Bible teacher, head of the women's group, doing this, doing that? The pianist. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. And in fact, when the children uh, showed up, 
she basically said to me, I, I continue to be active in the church, but I really feel like my first and foremost calling is to be a mom. Mm. And I agreed with her 100%. So during those years, though she was always at church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday nights, there were times when she wasn't if the children were sick and she needed to be there with them. There were times where she had to say no to going to particular things mm -hmm. because, again, she sensed rightly that her primary calling was that to be a mother. Well, a pastor has to protect his wife mm -hmm. and defend his wife. Yeah. And so one of the things I would say is if you're going into a church uh, brand new, on the front end in a loving way, a gracious way, but a firm way, mm -hmm. help them understand we're going to be a normal family. Uh, I'm going to be a normal husband and a normal dad. She's going to be a normal wife and a normal mom, which means that we're going to go to our kids' games. We're going to go to our kids' ballets. We're going to go to our kids' concerts. We're going to take a vacation. I'm going to take a day off, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Now, obviously, when there are emergencies, I am going to be there mm -hmm. because I'm your shepherd. But I'm also going to take a vacation and take a day off and go to my kids' ball games, and that means sometimes I'm not coming to that Bible that we used to call it Sunday school. Now I call it life group or connect group or whatever you want to call it. Same stuff. Uh, <laughs> why the young generation rebels against everything? That's their problem, not mine. But anyway, I'm not going to go to all of those things yeah. because I can't. And so I really think being a good uh, pastor and a good husband and father mm -hmm. also means you learn the art of saying no to good things mm -hmm. that you can say yes to the best and more important things yeah. and again if you model that well in a loving way before your church hopefully they will learn from you to do the same thing in their marriages and in their families yeah that's a good word so i mentioned i have two kids i remember when my wife was pregnant with our first there was obviously a overwhelming sense of joy that we were having uh, a child but at the same time, there was kind of uh, these thoughts of concern for the salvation of the child we were about to bring into this world. Um, just thoughts of what if our kid rebels and rejects Christ? Uh, what encouragement would you give to pastors who are thinking and, and struggling with those same thoughts of what can I do to ensure that uh, I, I raise these kids well to know the Lord and, and what uh, encouragement would you give to pastors whose kids are currently in a state of rebellion? Well, once again, our theology really does impact uh, our real life so that keeping in balance and tension, God's sovereignty and human responsibility are essential here. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, uh, God is sovereign, mm -hmm. and therefore he oversees and ordains all things. That does not negate, though, my responsibility to be a day in and day out a good husband and a good dad. Um, I remember hearing John MacArthur, who's known very clearly for his Reformed theology, saying that he does not let his theology get in the way of praying for the salvation of his children. And I think that's a good word. Mm -hmm. uh, any parent that says, well, God's sovereign, so it doesn't matter what I do, that parent's an idiot. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, by the way, Calvin used that word talking about the, uh, the folks at Corinth that were misleading the church. He said they are fools and idiots. So mm-hmm. if Calvin can say idiot, <laughs> I can say idiot. But no, God gives you and me the responsibility to train up our children in the way that they should go. He gives us the responsibility in Ephesians 6, 4 to instruct them in the training and the admonition of the Lord and to pray for their conversion, to pray that they will grow up and live godly lives. I I told my boys from the time they could understand anything, uh, if you will grow up and love and serve the Lord Jesus, I don't care what you do. But I would talk to them, and their mother especially would talk to them repeatedly about how wonderful Jesus was, how incredible Jesus is, and how nothing is more important than having a, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, by God's good grace, all four of our sons trusted the Lord at a very uh, young age. Now, I'm very much aware of the dangers of that. I'm also aware of the dangers of not uh, trying to lead your children at a young age to trust in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, taught them the gospel over and over and over. We looked for opportunities to emphasize certain aspects of the gospel over and over and over. Now, again, you as a parent can do everything right and your children still have a free will and they can choose to walk away in rebellion. But what I've learned is in watching life and and in our own family that if you model well and a healthy Christian family means there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, not a lot of rigid rules and regulations. That's legalism Mm -hmm. and nobody enjoys legalism. What you want to do is create a loving environment where there is joy in loving the Lord and serving the Lord. And when you do that, even if your kids have a season of walking away, the odds are, are much greater that they will come back because you sowed and laid, you sowed good seed and you laid a healthy foundation for their future life. And so I would just say to parents, you do the best you can before the Lord making sure that you're following good, godly, biblical principles in your parenting. Uh, And again, teach your children basically uh, live out two things. Number one, teach them Jesus is wonderful. And number two, have fun with them. Mm -hmm. And again, too many ministers uh, are, are deficient on the fun side. And no wonder their kids rebel when they get older because what they think when they uh, think back on what does it mean to be a Christian is church all the time and no fun. Mm-hmm. Well, church was all the time for us, but fun was also a large part of it every step of the way too. Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's so good. So how can, you, how can pastors and fathers raise their children to think and live missionally? I mean, you've done such a fantastic job here with the school and uh, and saying, you know, every classroom is a Great Commission classroom. You know, we're a Great Commission seminary. How do you cultivate a Great Commission home? Uh, how do you how do you get your uh, uh, how do you help your your kids to catch that vision? Southeastern believes it is important to support women as theologians and to equip them for service wherever their calling takes them. If God has called you to ministry in the church, the academy, or at home, Southeastern Seminary wants to equip you with the tools you need to fulfill your calling. With almost every degree available online, you can get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future, 
by visiting subts.edu. Use the code PASTORMATTERS, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. Well, a few years ago, I was actually asked to speak at the uh, Gospel Coalition right before they met as a, a pre-meeting on uh, building Great Commission families. Mm. And I thought about it, but never actually sat down and written it out. And I did, and there's this little booklet now. But bottom line is your kids will uh, wind up doing what they see mom and dad doing. Mm-hmm. And your kids will very likely think is important what you think is important. Mm-hmm. So I would say first and foremost, Ranger, is be incarnational in your parenting and model for your children Great Commission living. So pray for the nations. Uh, emphasize in your church giving to reach the nation. So if you're a Southern Baptist, that may mean uh, Annie Armstrong for North American missions and Lottie Moon for international missions. And then thirdly, take your kids with you. When they reach an age that is appropriate, take them with you. Now that may mean being involved in bus ministry, Mm -hmm. but that may also mean taking them on a North American mission trip, which most any of us can do once they reach a certain age because it's not nearly as expensive and so on. But then once you have the opportunity, uh, get them a passport. I'm amazed at how many of us don't have passports and our children don't have passports. Well, you can't go internationally without a passport. Mm -hmm. So as Gordon Fort says, the first step in being a Great Commission Christian is get a passport. So get your kids a passport and then take, take them with you. Initially, take them on easy short trips. Once they've got, again, a good taste in their mouth because they've seen good things happen and they've enjoyed what they did, then you can cut their teeth on more difficult mission trips, which, by the way, is the same thing we try to emphasize here at Southeastern. Do something easy to begin with, then take in the uh, take the next step to the more hard, difficult trips uh, because they need that. They need to see that God is faithful in both environments, Plus, they need to see the massive lostness of the world that you see when you go to difficult uh, places. Mm-hmm. So doing those kind of things, I think, uh, will sow the seeds for your children growing up and being uh, Great Commission Christians. But if they don't see you emphasizing it, don't see you th- doing it, don't be surprised if they don't do it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know when we were uh, in Baltimore, we... Uh, would would not only have these uh, uh, these these projects where we would go out you know and talk to the neighbors and, and and so on, but we would also have moments where we would take the kids in our church and we would take them with us just going through the blocks you know going down up and down our neighborhood, uh, and other things that we would do is we would take our church building, which was a, a red brick uh, church building, and we would give our kids uh, the kids in the church uh, uh, sidewalk chalk. And we would say, if you want to give a message to the, the, the neighbors here, you know, to our neighborhood, you know, and just let them know, you know, anything uh, about our Lord and, and so on, what, what would you want to say? And they, of course they would say, you know, we want them to know that God loves you. And we're like, okay, well, how about you do this? How about you take our sidewalk, you know, and just write in as big letters as you possibly can, you know, that, you know, Jesus loves you, you know, and, and they did. And they, so they put it together, they're drawing and, and everything. And, uh, and it was amazing not only to see them own that message, that they're like, we want to get this message out to our, to our neighbors. We'll go door to door, but we want, we want it plastered on our, on our church building too. 
but it was also encouraging to the the uh, folks in our church, our members, and and so on as well, to see, wow, our kids actually are, you know, listening, and they actually do want you know to get the gospel out. They actually do love their neighbors and want to see them come to faith, and and all of that. And so yeah, things like that, and incorporating them into the, uh, your prayer meetings as well. Uh, in fact, even sometimes you know, let them lead the prayers. Yes, uh, you know, uh, and and all of those things as well. You're, you're training them up and 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 forming uh, along the way these desires uh, for the gospel in uh, in your in your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing I would add to this is one of the things that that me and my wife started doing and try to be really intentional about was having conversations with our kids after the Sunday service. Mm -hmm. So turning the music off and Mm -hmm. having a conversation Mm -hmm. about what was just proclaimed, what was just preached. And the Lord just really used that time to teach our son who had so many questions. I mean, he's five years old, but we we don't give our kids enough credit about how much they can actually understand and how much of a desire they have uh, to understand. And so I would just encourage pastors listening, find ways to incorporate your family into these conversations on what you're preaching, what you're learning. Uh, let that be conversations that just happen naturally. Another thing I would say is uh, if you're a student, so I'm speaking from an experience as a student here, find ways to get your family incorporated into the seminary life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that my family loves doing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm safe to say this, but I believe that Southeastern has the most beautiful campus in the, the world. Um, and it's so, at the top without any question. <laughs> my family loves coming here on the weekends and taking walks. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the questions that, that my son asked is, why is there a giant go on the side of this building? And it was an opportunity for us to tell him, like, this is, this is what we do. This is what we're about. And so um, find ways to, to incorporate your family families mm-hmm. into uh, whether it's school or whether it's the preaching, uh, mm-hmm. find ways to incorporate them into those and let me piggyback on that. One of the things I've seen over the years that's really helped children catch the Great Commission bug is when you do emphasize giving to like Lottie Moon mm-hmm. or Annie Armstrong, find a plastic cup or a mason jar and let your kids collect their pennies and their nickels and their dimes. And when it comes time to give, I've seen churches kind of do a little parade where the children get to come by and dump their nickels and their pennies and their dimes and their quarters into a big vat that they know is going to go to the mission field. And again, the delight that you see in their face that they are helping get the gospel to children Mm -hmm. around the world, you can't tell me that's not something God will use down the road to nurture that spirit and to continue to feed that flame. And I'd also say this, Read to your children missionary biographies. Yeah. There's a series of books on uh, heroes of the faith. They're, they're very small, and they are all about great heroes of the faith. Most of them, not all, but most of them missionaries. Mm-hmm. And so I know that my son Paul, who's the dean at uh, Southern over the Billy Graham School, they've done that with their children, and they have seen their children. You can ask their kids, well, tell me about uh, Lottie Moon. Tell me about William Carey. Tell mm-hmm. me about... Adonai Judson. Tell me about the, uh, Mr. Judson's three wives and what they did. Tell me about Amy Carmichael, and they can tell you mm-hmm. because they've read those books to them, and it, again, makes their world bigger and also, again, plant seeds that God may later bring to fruition in calling them to the mission field. Yeah. Also, encourage your children 
to pray for their unsaved friends. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and and you joined them in praying for their unsaved friends. Uh, when we were in Baltimore, I had um, my oldest Joshua. He uh, he had an altercation with uh, with some of the some of the boys in the neighborhood. They would always come over and play basketball, especially during the summer months. They would just knock on our door. Can we play out out in your backyard? Because we had a basketball hoop out there and. And uh, normally it would be an opportunity for me to uh, to get back in shape by blocking their <laughs> shots and dunking all dunking over them. Dunking on them. Yeah, it was <laughs> Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. It builds character. Um, but one of the things, uh, there, was a, there was a season, there was a moment where Joshua uh, got to share the gospel with one of, one of his friends. And his friend responded by spitting on the ground. Uh, kind of in, in just disgust, you know, over over this message. Like, I wanted nothing to do with, with, with this message. And Joshua came in, kind of had his tail between his legs, and he was, you know, uh, uh, sad about that. And, but we were able to talk, uh, talk with him about that and just help him to see not everybody responds immediately, you know, with faith in the gospel. I was so glad that he was able to see that and witness that. Obviously, it would have been better if his if his friend did indeed come to faith that moment. But we were able to teach him there are some folks where you're going to have to put in some work on your knees, you know, praying for them, interceding for them, uh, and you and when they respond that way, you come right back and love them again, you know, and you share the gospel with them again, and you you're there for them, uh, and that was a, a very important uh, teaching opportunity for him. Uh, and it led all of us to take their names and everything and say, we're going to commit to praying mm-hmm. for him, uh, praying for his salvation. And now, obviously, we're here in North Carolina, uh, and we've got the kids in our neighborhood here. And as far as I know, there may be one or two of the kids that uh, my kids play with that are believers, and all of the other kids are not, uh, nor do they have parents who believe. And so this is another mission field, and we're trying to uh, help our kids see Amen. that their neighborhood is a mission field. And so uh, as you're going and playing, riding your bikes, playing basketball, playing in the yard and things like that, uh, you're building friendships, but you're also building friendships for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus Amen. and you're helping them to see that. And so, yeah, uh, you know, you can take your kids on short term mission trips on uh, all over the world. You can go all throughout the neighborhood. You could go into your backyard, exactly. uh, but whatever the, the context and however you do it, just make sure that you're helping your kids see uh, themselves as being a part of this mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. So so now your kids are grown. Yes. All right. And and not only are they grown, they're in ministry themselves. Uh, all four are leading uh, in some capacity, right? So your role as dad has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now they're uh, they're colleagues in ministry, co-laborers in in ministry. So how how has that changed? And and how do you you know uh, shepherd them uh, and and just watch over them now? Not just as as a parent of adults, you know, they're not in the house anymore, but now as parent, uh, a dad of, of ministry leaders. Well, first and foremost, I would say that I am their cheerleader or encourager. And I try to encourage them in the different assignments that they have, letting them know, one, that I'm proud of them, but also that each of them individually has very significant uh, assignments uh, in the kingdom of God. And uh, so I'm there to encourage them. And then I serve as a counselor. Now, uh, I'm not one, and, and maybe uh, some dads are different here. I, I'm, I'm this way, and I, 
I actually think it's a better way, obviously, or I would do it differently. I don't intrude. Uh, in other words, I seldom, in fact, very seldom volunteer advice. I don't see that as my assignment. Now, if I saw something that they are doing that's just egregiously wrong, then yes, I would. But I don't uh, volunteer my counsel. Uh, I, I let them seek it. If they seek it, I give it. But if they don't, I don't. And uh, sometimes their mom says, well, don't you think you need to tell them? And I'm like, no, I don't. They're, they're grown men, two of them are 40. Uh, so they're 40 year olds, one's 38 and one's 36. And I said, uh, they're grown men. They have to make their own decisions. I'm certainly going to give them my best thoughts if they ask, but otherwise I'll trust them in the Lord. And so I take that kind of assignment and that kind of a role. I watch what they're doing. I pay attention to it. Uh, but my, just like here at the seminary, I'm not a micromanager. That's not my calling. Uh, my calling is to try to uh, surround myself with the very best people possible and then let them do their job and soar for God's glory. And I think he's been very kind to give us a lot of really, really good gifted people. Uh, I think the same thing is true with my children. I poured my life in them for about 20 years so that when I'm not around anymore, and I won't always be around, they'll be just fine with them and the Lord. And that's kind of where I see them now. Again, God's still giving me life uh, and health to help, but I'm a helper. Uh, I'm no longer the one that is the decision maker. That's not my assignment anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Um, last question. We've talked a lot about fatherhood and, and pastors, uh, but yet we also know that there are a lot of individuals who growing up did not have a father mm-hmm. in the home. Uh, for many, fathers were, were absent from their lives, and, and this leaves a, a very deep, uh, deep void in their lives. So, so what encouragement uh, for those listening do you have who had a little to no relationship with their father growing up, and, and how can they learn to be what they didn't have once they become fathers themselves? Well, that's a great question. Fortunately for me, I did have uh, an intact home with a good dad and a good mom. Uh, my wife had exactly the opposite experience. My wife was born into the home of alcoholic parents who divorced when she was seven years old. And because they neither one really were capable of caring for her, she and her sister and her brother were placed in a children's home when she was nine to where she would live until she was 18. Mm-hmm. And even um, when we got married, her father did not come to our wedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife only saw her father uh, a couple of times before he passed away after we were married. And so you say, well, goodness, she had a shattered life as a little girl. Yes, she did. Well, how then did she, you know, compensate for that? And I think she would tell you if she were here, well, when I was uh, converted at the age of 10, not only did I get Jesus as my Savior, I got God as my Father. Mm. And he really did become a father to the fatherless, and he filled that void in her heart and in her life. Mm. Now, I also think that God brought into her life some men uh, that and I did too, that she could look up to uh, and that she could uh, learn from and that could care for her and love her, uh, almost like a, uh, a surrogate father within the body of Christ. Mm. And, you know, in our churches, there are good, godly men that can fulfill that role. I think we need to encourage them to do it. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to encourage and train them to do it. Mm -hmm. But yes, God gives us spiritual fathers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for some children and for some teenagers and even for some adults, that uh, spiritual father assignment can really be very uh, crucial Mm -hmm. and very critical. And so what I would say to those that that unfortunately grew up in that kind of situation, there is a Heavenly Father who is not just good, He's perfect. Mm -hmm. And uh, He will love them with a love of a perfect Father, and He can fill that void. And I've watched Him do that, not just in Charlotte's life, but I've watched Him do that in many lives over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Are there still um, hurts? Yes. Are there still uh, wounds? Yes. Are there still scars? Yes. But by God's grace, scars heal, and wounds do as well. And uh, so God is capable of providing that which only He can provide, Mm -hmm. which is also a reminder for those of us that did have good homes. Still, we need to be looking not uh, just to our earthly fathers, but actually beyond our earthly fathers to our heavenly Father, because Mm -hmm. when everything is said and done, He and He alone can meet the deepest needs of our heart and of our soul. And of course, that's exactly what He wants to do. It's not by accident that Christianity is rather unique in saying that we can approach God as Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ancient world didn't think of God in that category at all, uh, but we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is something radically, radically different that is a grace gift from uh, our perfect Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, that will do it for today's conversation. Dr. Aiken. thank you again for joining us uh, for this discussion and, and, and sharing your wisdom uh, with us today. We're uh, super grateful for your leadership and just your years of faithful ministry. Uh, before we conclude, I did want to mention Dr. Aiken's book, Raising Kids with a Heart for Mission. Uh, in it, he suggests 10 principles for building great commission families. Uh, this book is a valuable resource, so we encourage our listeners to check it out. Um, we want to thank you again for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. It is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen.